2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers made a move over this weekend. And I love when this happens, guys, when they'll make a move on like a Friday, and we don't record a pod for a couple of days, so I get to sit with it for a little while. So I got a couple pages of notes, very excited to to talk about this. And- there's a very obvious conversation to be had regarding we've got so many guards, so many of the pods that we've done recently have emphasized we already had one too many guards. And so let's put that to the side for just a moment right now and just keep the focus on Dennis. I like this move in a vacuum in that Dennis has been hooping. If you've been watching Eurobasket at, uh, at all, there's been some great basketball being played. He just led them to the bronze medal um, playing very well. I think this is an important season to kind of hit the ground running. And he's playing high level basketball right now that you just can't replicate in the kind of like open runs at the practice facility. Um, and he's a two way player. He's not a three and D guy necessarily, but he is a con- contributor on both ends of the floor. And Darius, there's some alternative timeline where we're uh, where Dennis Schroder's entering the second year of a four year extension with the Lakers being paid 20 million or so a year. And both him and the Lakers have taken a very interesting course over the last year, year plus, that have kind of led them back to each other. So talk to me about the return of
3: Dennis Schroeder. I mean, I'm actually interested in hearing what Mike has to say about Dennis's return, just from the perspective of my feelings on Dennis are pretty well known. So let me take a two-pronged approach. I agree with everything you just said, Pete. And particularly like the high level play from him having a very good summer for the German national team. And then also him being a very good two-way player. And I think getting a year of Dennis is that there is definitely an angle where we saw a lot of Dennis's warts in the playoff loss against the Suns, particularly after Anthony Davis got hurt. And I think that it was very easy to sour on dennis um with those struggles within the context of what he was meant to be and i think it's very easy to sort of gloss over how high his highs were during his loan season with the lakers and then highlight some of his lows but one of the reasons why i was interested in hearing what you have to say about dennis is mostly because You're one of the people who I think rightfully speaks to the position the Lakers were in in that first round before AD got hurt and how everything was sort of falling into place at that time for them to potentially make a run. And the Phoenix Suns went to the finals that season and the Lakers were the team that looked like they were on the verge of knocking them out of the playoffs before AD got hurt. Like, obviously, seven game series. It can go either way, but the Lakers were up two one and they look like the better team to me when everyone was was healthy. And And so before I circle back to Dennis from my perspective, because I do want to get more into the stuff I did not like about him as a player, I just sort of wanted to give you a chance to sort of speak on Dennis's return and sort of preemptively maybe stop me in my tracks from going too far in some critiques of
4: Dennis's game. Yeah, this is going to take a little while to unpack, I think, in this episode,
2: right? (laughs) Lots going on here. Mike, the Lakers are my favorite novella. I love novellas, like, in (laughs) any language. In fact, the better ones are not in English. And Dennis coming back is like a character from like two seasons ago that you thought disappeared, right? Like in some mysterious circumstance and shows up in like a suit with flowers. And it's like, oh, that character's back. Yeah, there's a lot going on here. There's a very Melrose Placey. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes.
4: (laughs) I liked Melrose Place. Uh, I I will say that. Uh, Pete, did you when you were reading these in other languages? Was it like to impress Goldfarb or something like before a, no. a chess tourney or what? Like no,
2: what? no, no, no subtitles. No, you got to have the subtitles. Oh. No, no, no. I'm not a I'm not a poly god. No.
4: Okay, got you. So where do we start with Dennis? I think that let's let's start in the past. Okay, let's start. We can we can eventually get to where the fit is with this current roster. And I think if you've been listening to the pods recently you've you've known that we've all been looking a bit more towards the front court and getting some forwards and this doesn't necessarily address nope. that right <laughs> it <laughs> Not just <at> complicates <laughs> it even further uh so i remember i remember advocating for how shooter had played especially early in the season as darius just referenced and he gave the lakers a certain amount of spark uh, defensively particularly And when he was not having to be a creator himself, and he was just sort of off ball, and he could attack on occasion, and of course, this this meant when LeBron and Anthony Davis were both were both healthy, and the team was playing better, um, then it worked out okay on offense too. Uh, It wasn't again; wasn't perfect. It wasn't great. Didn't shoot the ball great, and but his defensive pressure and just how hard he played on that end for most for for the most part, right? I thought was better than probably was being talked about at the time then as ad and lebron started to have varying injuries and schroeder this is darius's slotting concept right when schroeder had to do more it was not working out as well and that certainly came out to happen in the playoffs except for if i recall the final game in which he actually did i think one was one of the guys who like really went down fighting Um, He he played really well in games
2: two and three in that series as well when AD was there. It's it's funny what shapes our memories because he was actually decent in that series. So
4: all of that said, and then you get to exit interviews and he was at at that point, you know, there was various reporting as to what might have been offered him and, you know, what he ended up turning down. And, you know, he really wanted to like work his ass off and come back the next year. And of course, that didn't end up working out. And then he had a really strange season in Boston where they struggled with him in there. They couldn't quite figure out how he couldn't quite figure out. Well, smart wants to have the ball a certain amount Tatum and Brown need to have the ball a certain amount. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, this isn't, he just did not fit well at all. And Boston took off once shooter was not around anymore, Mm -hmm. which typically does not, you know, shine fondly upon a player, Pete. So Mm -hmm. these are all the things that are going on. And then you watch him in, a context that's better for him with the German national team, and he he does show some of those signs that he has again the competition to be able to get his own shot, uh, having some successes, and then that's also mitigated to me some by the lack of relative athleticism in EuroBasket to what there is in the NBA, mm-hmm. where he's able to play a little better because of that, because there you know Slovenia and. Uh, and the various teams he's going against are are just not quite as deep and not quite as good and not quite as good defensively. So um, I do think we have to be a little careful to overreact to how he played in Eurobasket, but there's so much going on with him. I just, uh, as Darius sort of asked, uh, my first salvo is to say that when things were, when the situation was ideal for shooter, he can be in a pretty good spot uh, for your team, especially at a minimum contract. But I don't know that that's going to be the case this year. Right. And certainly with what this roster is. And when you have to have a player that requires certain circumstances to have success, that says something about that player right there where there are, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about the guys that you just plug in and they figure out like that they, they play defense. Right. They they can space the floor. They don't need the ball like he is not that player um, to me. And and that requires some complicated things from a coaching standpoint. But Pete, jump in here. Uh, and and let's hash all of this out with, with shooter.
2: This is one of the places where basketball is really fun to me because role players in particular can fit right right in in some some circumstances, and then, like you said, just stand out in in Boston and be s- someone where once they leave, things work you know a lot smoother. And Boston, the way they play, they want to get the wheel, the sequence going. D right that like that create an advantage throw the skip pass and kind of extend in everybody what was really important about them is that everybody could shoot or it was rob williams with the lob threat right and schruder is not really a like swing swing catch and shoot three kind of guy he's a legit lead guard that's what he does that's why offensively he's in the nba and one of my memories of his one season with the lakers is that team was the number one defensive rated team in the whole league we played really good defense and he was a part of that. But I also remember a lot of games. Once AD went down, we didn't have LeBron or AD for one stretch. Both of them were out. And then in terms of like having both of them at the same time, we only had a couple of games from like the 27 game mark on. And I remember him and Trez won several games for us because like Dennis like 22 points and five assists in a game that we won 96 to 91. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't some offensive barn burner, but he was the guy that was able to get enough points up. We won a, an afternoon game against Utah. I remember he sent it to overtime and then made a sweet, like behind the back dish to KCP in transition. And he was, but he was a big reason that we won the game offensively. Now, when you look at this broader team, I would argue there are a lot of guys that can get a, a bucket and that uh, like a lead guard or somebody that has the ball in their hands it was not somewhere where we were deficient in the first place. But I do think that this style of play um, is more like the Milwaukee style of offense is more of a stagnant, give the ball to a primary initiator to break down the defense type of offense than, uh, than what Boston does. So I think it's a better fit. But yeah, there's a lot of questions regarding the, the broader context.
3: Yeah, so, so, so we're in the middle game part now of talking about Dennis, right? Mm -hmm. Let's talk positives because he can really help an NBA team when, like you said, Pete, the team and Mike, you said this as well, but you used it as a detraction, which I totally see that side of it as well. But let's use it as as a springboard towards, hey, how is this useful? Is you do need certain ingredients around Dennis in order to be successful. Um, let's look at that season. The Lakers started and had Marcus on that team, so he was a stretch five. They had Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is on this team. They had LeBron James. LeBron James is on this team. They had Alex Caruso. Alex Caruso is a point of attack and off-ball defensive guard who has some size. And they had Trez. Trez was a in-between sort of finisher at the basket, pick and roll, can play the short roll some, but was just uh, very good hands, could catch the ball anywhere around the basket, Was nift- and was a nifty finisher around the cup. This Lakers team actually has several of those same ingredients. They're just in different players. Yeah. Now... Will Thomas Bryant be as good of an offensive player as Mark Gasol? I have my doubts, but he is in that same sort of like pick and pop. He will get downhill some. He can score inside some and that he's an interesting sort of facsimile for what Gasol was was trying to to provide. Damian Jones is a center very much in the Trez mold as a lob threat and someone who is going to pick and roll and get down downhill. He has decent hands, not great hands. I think Trez is a much better finisher and has much more craft around the basket. But Jones has much more athleticism and has better size. and And so Whatever. Trez is a better player, but Jones is 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 in that same mold. You've got LeBron and you've got AD. And then you've got, I think, Patrick Beverly, who sort of steps into that Alex Caruso sort of mold. What this mm-hmm. Lakers team does not have, is the Kyle Kuzma and the Markeith Morris, who were both integral players, I think, on that Lakers roster and helped them win some games too, Pete. It wasn't just because Dennis was getting 22 and five. For it sure. was, oh, look, here's this stretch of Markeith Morris games. And it's like, oh, look at Keith going four for nine from three and giving you 16 points and five rebounds. And Mm -hmm. oh, look, here's Kyle Kuzma, who put up 26 from a forward spot, right? And could space the floor and played an in-between game. That was very interesting as well. But in saying all that, Dennis is the type of player that he is not going to be the keep the wheel moving, swing, swing. He is a ball stopping point guard. which is like almost an oxymoronic statement right like you almost want your point guard to be a ball mover you want him to be an initiator you want him to play with feel and this goes back to this is why dennis was not one of my favorites it's because i grew up watching point guards who played that style and to see a like i'd much rather have a jason kidd type right? Like I'd rather have Jason kid. Jason kid was a great basketball player, but, but I'd rather have a Jason kid type than a, Dennis a Schroeder type, right? Because I want the dude who is seeing the whole court, who is understanding who needs the ball and who doesn't, and is a ball mover rather than a ball stopper. But as a ball stopper, he has the ability to beat a switch which is super important in a pick-and-roll-heavy scheme, and he has the ability to attack a closeout and get into slots by playing in isolation even against his own man. And those things will be super useful to this Lakers team in general. Where I start to have questions is, Pete, you mentioned that this is, you like this signing in a vacuum. Unfortunately, this signing did <laughs> not happen in a vacuum. It did not. Right. Dennis is the 14th player signed to the roster and the Lakers are very likely to keep 14 players on their roster. They always like to have 14 players. And it's because that 15th spot allows them to do extra things and be flexible in the buyout market at the trade deadline and all kinds of other ways. And so this roster, as it is right now, is likely the roster. And so you have to account for that when you think about where Dennis fits. And they got several other small guards on this roster, Pete. And I think we'll get more into this in the second half of the pod. But Mike, I just want to lob that to you a little bit now because this idea of Dennis in a vacuum is one thing, but he is not in a vacuum right now, right? He is one of now five or six guards who probably all deserve to play. And shaking that out is going to be super interesting to me.
4: Well... Westbrook's going to come up eventually right as we as we start to talk about playing time and figuring out how things are going to go around if the roster stays as it is and maybe one key difference Pete for me from last season is that so you knew that Westbrook was going to play and he was gonna have to play a certain amount and the options right of who Frank Vogel could call upon off the bench weren't great you know weren't ideal and to the point where an undrafted rookie free agent may have been the next best mm-hmm. guy there in Austin Reeves. And so now you get Kendrick and unhealthy, presumably who certainly would have been on that list. You bring in Patrick Beverly who <laughs> we'll get into this, but may have to be more of a wing, <laughs> like the way that this roster yep. looks right now. Yep. Um, and, but, and then Dennis Schroeder and okay. So if, if Russ isn't playing well, whether that's defensively as Darvin has said is the main priority or, He's not shooting well, and that therefore impacts the way the defenses are able to play around LeBron and AD. Well, now you have more, more of a viable backcourt, right, just in terms of, of complementing a LeBron and AD who are going to carry so much usage, right, that you don't need as much from your guards, that you've got these point of attack, defensive focus type guys and shooter and Beverly, and then, you know, mix none and Reeves in there. And that's not even to get to what Troy Brown or Lonnie Walker uh, could do and what roles they have. Mm-hmm. But I guess the point is, you might not even need Westbrook to play. Uh, a certain amounts of like a set number of minutes or a set type of role it does not address the the clear gap that they have behind LeBron and AD in the front court and i, I don't know how the ham is going to be able to handle that as the season goes on but i i do think that Truder is another guy that clearly is is capable of playing minutes and playing and has shown that he can play a certain way around some of that personnel uh, as darius uh, hashed out a, a moment ago so that's just that's one thing that i guess stands out is that they have these guards are collectively better than what they had last season um it, it doesn't address that big hole in the roster but that part i think is at least interesting and and bears some understanding
2: very much so back courts a lot stronger in the second half of the pod let's let's put russ in focus uh less on the court but in terms of how the team has built out their roster So there isn't a wing version of Dennis Schroeder on the market. Does that make sense? Like Dennis is a good two-way player that was runner up in six man of the year voting two years ago. If there's a wing type of player, there's nobody that just like, if you're six-seven to six-nine and you fit that type of description, you're with the team and you're probably making like MLE money or better. There's such a dearth of wings on the market. That when looking at this team, this very, very small team with six guards that have a good argument to play, I look I look at it, D, and I go, this team would probably make a lot more sense after a Russell Westbrook trade, but you also have to... But we've also determined that we're going to protect picks to a certain degree. We're not going to take back a certain degree of money, depending on the player. We've held a certain line when it comes to the Westbrook negotiations where if we wanted to trade Russ, if we just were like, hey, we just got to get rid of this guy, there were deals that could have been made. And so the Lakers are in this in-between spot, I think, with the roster build with respect to how do you how do you build a team going into the season where you're looking to fill certain spots. But you can only do it with Russ as that trade piece because there's no forward on the market that you can get to kind of replicate that. Whereas there is a Dennis Schroeder at the guard spot that like is a totally acceptable backup lead guard. Does that make sense?
3: It does make sense. I'm not in a very generous mood though in terms of <laughs> making Talk excuses for this team. Yeah, like they built a team and it's just like. Imagine going and you're going to order breakfast, right? Or you're at a buffet. It's it's like, okay, well, man, you ever go to one of those buffets in like Vegas or whatever, and they've got literally like all these different types of foods, Mike, and they've got like, oh, look, there's sushi over there. And then there's like, look, over here, there's crab legs. It's like, oh, man, look, there's prime rib. And and then over here, you've got like a whole barbecue section where there's ribs and and, and like all... Like, oh, my goodness. And then they've got over here, they've got this whole like Chinese food section. And you just like, oh, my goodness. Like, what am I going to get? So the Lakers, they're at this buffet or Rob Polinka is at this buffet of players. It's free agency. But every time he goes to get the prime rib, there's no prime rib. (laughs) And every time he goes to go get sushi, there's no sushi. There's no salmon. There's no crab. But like look there's fried rice and there's chow mein so oh there's there there might be some soup mike but but there might be some soup but there's some fried rice and there's some chow mein there's some mashed potatoes there's some like french bread i love french bread really good like garlic bread but what you realize is is you so you're like oh man i want some chow mein like that looks good. I want, I want some mashed potatoes. That looks good. So you come back and you've got like two or three plates full of food and they're all carbs. All you did was grab four or five different carbs and, and you <laughs> stuck them all on your plate. And mm-hmm. that's what Rob Polinka did. And instead of carbs, they were guards. And he got all the guards, Pete. And you're right. It's just like, mm-hmm. like guards are cheaper. They're cheaper because they are smaller and they can impact winning less, right, than the guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis and all of these two-way wings who, who could be three AD players and are six eight, six nine, six seven, even, right? Those guys make 10, 15 times the amount of money that Dennis Schroeder is going to make this season. And, and so I get... That Rob Palinka probably did as good as he could have done, considering the resources that he he had available to him in order to sign some of these players. And I'm very interested to see how these these guys play. But he has now built a team with a bunch of guards again, with <clears throat> no real forward depth to back up his key players. No combo forward who can slot between his two best players and he did good on the center market another market inefficiency that where you could get good players for cheap and he did good at the guard spot where Mm. like six four or six five guys who can all play and all contribute but he does not have mike this team does not have those big wings that you need in order to stop the other teams best players. Other teams are not going to look at Rob at the team that Rob Polinka built and just like, "Oh man, like I know that all these guys that you wanted to pay your MLE, right? That all these 68, 69 wigs that you would have loved loved to have signed. I know that they all went somewhere for twice somebody. So guess what? Tonight we're going to take it easy on you. Right. We're not going to attack your switches and go after your small players. We're not going to care that you have to play three guard lineups for 60 or 70 percent of your minutes tonight. It's just like, yeah, we're not going to take take advantage of that at all. And it's just like, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just not being very generous. I'm like, I don't feel the generosity here in order to just highlight the good parts of this, because there are real deficiencies here that I'm struggling with. And the Lakers are going to struggle because of it, in my opinion.
4: The team to me just continues to not be complete in terms of what you're looking for of roster balance. And I think that that was always going to be the case until you figure out how to optimize the Westbrook situation. And so looking at that's where the comment about the shooter in a vacuum and adding that type of player on a minimum. And, and I get all that, but it it is complicated of course, when you have a salary slot and a the player like that Russ occupies. So I, I don't know how to deal with that other than just at some point, right at some point there's going to have to be some level you would think right for the team to be to be able to really compete but pete was always this is this is i think a thing that i liked about pete a lot last year is that it's like well look these are the players that are there on the roster right now today yep so day one what is if this is what it is what does darvin ham do then with this smaller type roster and how do they zag they're basically like the opposite of Minnesota uh, in a way and then in the you've got the teams in the middle like Toronto and the Clippers that have all of the wings you know it's Mm -hmm. it's really the league is going to be interesting this year because the styles right and and all of that yes are different at least to start and then I think that some of those things will work better than others and I think that the Clippers and the Raptors style will work better (laughs) And, And you know but Maybe there's a, you know, you can't just give up on what it is at the time, Pete, and deal with that first. And then we'll, we'll, I'll get to my, I just just don't know.
2: So, you you know, what's another team that in their sphere, they're kind of lamenting their lack of wings is Milwaukee. And Milwaukee's build there's, is similar to ours in that their two best players are their starting three and their four. And when you look at their title team, they made a midseason trade for P.J. Tucker, where before that, they didn't really have other forwards in the rotation. And so tomorrow's pod is going to be about the how the heck do you make this work? But I do think that there's some Milwaukee influence. Like remember in the series against Boston, Wes Matthews was the main assignment for Jason Tatum. And Wes Matthews is like six inches shorter. Than Tatum, and what I think it is, and we'll get into more of this uh, in tomorrow's episode. I think we're really prioritizing ball pressure. As somebody who, that's one of my favorite parts of the game. That like that ability to put pressure on the ball and force turnovers and and all of that. I think the talent in that respect in the last couple weeks between adding Pat Bev and Dennis Schroeder has gone up quite a bit. We'll talk about that tomorrow. There's a coaching idiom though in where you you tell your players don't make the same mistake twice. Don't get beat in the same way two times in a row. And so for example, if you're on offense, you got the ball, your big man sets a screen for you, you come around it, and then the defense blitzes you. And you weren't expecting it. They hadn't done it before. They force a turnover, get a layup uncontested. It's going to happen, right? Ideally, you minimize it, but that's part of basketball. That's not the the part that you want to avoid what you want to avoid is the next time you come down the court you need to be ready for them to blitz you you need to be aware that this is what they're doing now this is what we do to be able to beat it and this is how we get into what we need to do to address these changing looks and so in the spirit of don't get beat the same way twice the fact that there were so many times last year where i was watching and i remember on this pod so many times just being like guys if we just had seriously just a south bay level guy just like a G League level guy who's six, seven, six, nine. And lo and behold, Stanley Johnson. Wendy and Gabriel, they look like the best forwards that we had all year, just because there were so many games, D, where we were deficient at those forward spots. And when we talk about the team at this point in the, of the year, and everyone's healthy on paper, right? And it's like, oh, LeBron and AD are going to play. There are going to be plenty of games over the course of 82, where it's not a perfect roster, where you do have guys out and we're so thin at that forward spot where we're really in danger of there being more games like that if LeBron misses time if ad misses time where it's like you know the whole thing structurally you can have all these guards that's great ball pressure great uh, all that's very nice but if you don't have a certain amount of guys at a certain size it can get very difficult very quickly and so i feel you man on on all of that and that's my biggest worry going into the season it's more like i think we're okay as is I think we – but if there are any injuries, then it starts to get complicated. I would also really like us to sign Jay Huff. I'll give my argument for that later. But I think that if you're going to be smaller in the backcourt, you need to have more sustainable bigs at the four and five spot. So take that in whatever direction you like. But I just think that we're – that that is a a structural um, weakness of, of how we're built.
3: It is a structural weakness and it's a fatal flaw. If this were college and you could viably play three guards and two bigs, I'd be like, oh, man, the Lakers, look at them, right? But that's not the NBA game. It's just not. I don't want to try to oversell my point to make it seem worse than, than it is. Patrick Beverly is going to crack down on some dudes. He is going to throw his body around, and he is going to put his nose up in there. He's going to box out guys. He's going to do dirty work things. He's also six one. Dennis Schroeder is going to get in there, and he's going to get over the top of screens, and he is going to be a physical pest. And if he gets caught on, on a switch, he's going to try to get in front, and he's going to move his feet, and he's going to mm-hmm. do all of this stuff, right? Look, at some point, a 6'9 dude is going to just be like, I'm bigger than you. I'm bigger yep. than you. Yep. And they're going to do it to those two. They're going to do it to Kendrick Nunn. They're going to do it to Austin Reeves. They're They're going to do it. To all of these dudes, they're going to do it to Russ even, right? And Russ is like one of the more physical 6'4 dudes that you're going to find in the entire league. But there's a reason why... There's there's a reason why we talk about height and size and that ability to dominate the painted area and it mattering so much because we watched the Lakers win a championship that way. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do it with a bunch of 6'2 dudes flanking them. They did it with the smallest dude
2: on the court being Contavious Caldwell Pope. Now, the one thing I would say, D, is that, that team – I remember Kobe said, this is the biggest team I've ever seen in my life. They were yes. unusually big. but they, Point taken, for sure. They were unusually big, and it was because like, oh my goodness, Anthony
3: Davis is playing – Power forward and lebron is playing small forward and there's dwight howard and it's just like <laughs> right yeah that's not realistic right and then when it wasn't dwight howard it was JaVale mcgee like that's not realistic and i'm and not then talking in the about court,
2: you got like danny green, danny green and alex caruso, and then yeah. alex
3: caruso right the, the sometimes the smallest dude was rajon rondo is it'd be like rondo and then it would be like rondo and danny green and then lebron james and markeith morris and anthony davis and you're just like oh. Okay, what are we supposed to do with these dudes? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like Rajan Rondo and a bunch of like 676869 guys? Sure. I'm not trying to say like, "Oh, you have to build that team again." Building that sort of team is almost it's a unicorn team. You can't build that sort of team every single season. But you also can't continue to trade or get rid of all of your 676869 guys. And swap them out for 6'4, 6'3, 6'2, and 6'1 guys. Like, that's not the type of trade that you can make. It started with trading Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. They let Alex Caruso go. They traded Kyle Kuzma. They let Marquise Morris go. And they replaced those dudes with smaller players, with guards, basically. Right. And I thought, again, I think some of the physicality and some of the toughness that Dennis brings and and that Pat Bev brings is going to be super important. I think that if Russ has his head on right and he's willing to sort of do some of the little things and some of the dirty work things, he can be super important too. I just think that over the long haul, LeBron and AD aren't going to play forty eight minutes a night, and there's no other six eight dude on the roster at all. There's not even another six eight dude on the roster. The only other guys besides the centers that you signed, is Wenya Gabriel, right? Because they traded Stanley Johnson. And so it's sort of like, okay, even the guy they drafted, Max Christie, is a 6'6 guard who is like 190 pounds. Right. Right? So there's just a physicality issue that this team has, which is almost amazing to say when their two best players are LeBron and AD. And so it's like, this super interesting thing that we're going to have to dive into more because Russ is the pivot point with all of this. If he's on the roster, he's going to have to play a very specific style and a style that we haven't seen him play in maybe ever. And if he's not on the team, he has to be moved for very specific players who fill in very specific needs. You can't be trading Russ for another guard, basically. And it's like, okay, well, this is a very narrow path now. And it's like one of those scenes in Star Wars where the the walls are closing in and there goes the spaceship. And it's just like, okay, you got to turn a very specific way and hit the hit the engines as fast as you could go to get through that (laughs) gap, because otherwise
2: it's like you're going to get trapped a little bit. And that's sort of how I'm seeing this Lakers team. Interesting. Not quite as down as that, that but we, we will talk on them on a global scale uh, further for sure. But tomorrow, I want to get into how the heck might Darvin Ham try to make this work? So I got some thoughts on that, particularly on the defensive end. Uh, of all things, this transaction, I think locked in for me a working theory of what we're going to try to do, even though it was such a unusual, like I thought we might sign Dennis if we traded Russ and it would be after that happened, right? We After, you know, a couple, the front court guys come back then dennis comes and fills that that point guard role but that's not the case uh and and in that i think that there's some answers and how how we're going to play we'll talk about that and more on laker film Room podcast
3: danger's got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it
2: magic fires it's
1: That's for the winner. It. It's on the way. Kobe no! Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Back with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Freddy pass. And it's back to a three point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two, two score. one. Missing. One. Listen. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. <laughs> one of the
0: it's over. Shot out of five. Bryant. Yeah.
1: putting together a closing corner against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. MyPatriotSupply.com